Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am a feminist, but I love John Oliver from last week tonight so much. If he asked me to clean his house while he watched, I would. <laughs> like, definitely. And I feel like this is, might be the kind of podcast he listens to. <laughs> so, John, if you're listening or someone who works for you is listening and plays you this because they think it's funny to play you this in the writer's room... That offer stands. I think he's amazing. It makes every time I watch last week tonight, I feel sad that we didn't keep him. Like he's in, he didn't we keep him. We're never going to offer him that. There's so much money goes into that show to do that kind of quality research. I know. We just want to touch him. Okay. I'm a feminist, but I spent £100 on a serum containing vitamin D and was surprised that my skin didn't overnight gain the texture of a posh card you might buy from a boutique and still maintains the texture of a birthday card you'd buy at a corner shop for an aunt you did not like. <laughs> I was so sad. Yeah. I thought it would be magic. Because the lady on the blog said it would be magic. I know. I tried on some miracle cream that's uh, meant to be for summer legs. They and when put I put these magic on, words in. <laughs> yeah, so I tried it on my yeah. white, very, very white yeah. winter legs. Was that fucking miracle? And yeah. I said to the woman, it's just like a bit of brown streakiness. And I just went, when a product's called miracle, I am expecting yeah. a road to Damascus moment. Yeah. I'm expecting to hear angels cry. But then if it did turn your legs into brown, that would be a miracle. Wouldn't you be afraid? We'd be like, this cream is... Like, what has happened no, to me? No, no you'd I be would, happy. I would be... I spent money. so much money at Space NK, they gave me a special VIP card, and that's when I realised I had a problem. <laughs> There's a special card, like a Black Nando's card. Oh, they sent it to me. Oh, that one. Oh, you, well, you need to have a real anxiety about your face. <laughs> yeah, they sent it, and they were like, congratulations, you've got a VIP card. By the way, it's because you spent this much money. Right, right, right. <laughs> So then I stopped. Okay. 
I'm interested in the Nando's one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I would work for John Oliver in last week tonight's writer's room for 50 cents on the dollar and not tell anyone if it meant I got to work on his show. <laughs> I just wouldn't tell anybody. I keep, yeah. I could, that could happen. If I ever, you see me hide on his show, you could ask me, are you paid 50% less than the boys? Like and I'd be like, no, I'd lie. I feel lie. like you've undersold yourself because they might have asked you to write in it, but they'll go, oh, she's willing to do it for half the fee. <laughs> So now they'll be like, oh, cool, we'll just pay her less. She actively said she wouldn't mind. Yeah, but if he hears it, he might think, good, cheap hire. Yeah. And then when I'm over there, he'll see how good I am. Yes, and pay you more. And then, doesn't matter, I'm there (laughs) in the room. (laughs) It's irrelevant at that point. I'm a feminist, but I can't spell feminist, and I had to ask my husband what autonomy meant. It doesn't count as mansplaining if you ask them to do it. I genuinely, last night, was like, so, um, what do you think of autonomy? And he explained it, and I was like, and what, is that what it means? <laughs> and he was like, yes, did you just want to know what it meant? I was like, yeah, I was confused. Because <laughs> when we had a chat about it, I thought yeah. it was slightly something else. And then he was saying stuff, I thought, well, that's not what I thought. <laughs> you can Google stuff, you know that. <laughs> I know. Just I so. know, but I was very tired. Yeah. I'm a feminist, but if I had to choose between going back in time to help the suffragettes win the vote... And going back in time to be a young Robert Downey Jr.'s girlfriend. <laughs> helping to save him from himself. I would argue that we definitely already get the vote without me. But 1980s Robert Downey Jr. really needed the help. He's a broken biscuit. I am all for that because it's Robert Downey What can I say? It's Robert yeah. Downey Jr. I mean, you yeah. can't argue with them. I'm a feminist, but... I sometimes watch Loose Women and think maybe we shouldn't have been given the vote. (laughs) So sometimes. Live from King's Place in London, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with Deborah Francis White and guest co-host Carriette Lloyd and very special guest Gemma Arterton talking about autonomy. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. Next on The Guilty Feminist, Insights with Carrie Ed Lloyd. Uh, I'm going to give you a brief history of autonomy in case some people don't know what that word means <laughs> and needed to look it up. Well, as you know, Deborah, I didn't do a history degree, so here is my fully qualified version of the history of autonomy. Autonomy was invented by a man in 1650. He realised he could do whatever he wanted whenever he felt like it. He realised this as he shat on a small peasant boy. (laughs) He lived in France. That has nothing to do with why he was shitting on a small boy. Don't be racist. His name was Autonomy. (laughs) And once he came to his precious realisation, he began to do what all men do best, name things after himself. (laughs) See the Eiffel Tower, Christmas Day, and all surnames everywhere. (laughs) Once Monsieur Nee realised he had the power to do anything, he became overjoyed. He ran through the streets of his cobbled village and shouted at the baker, which is fake French. (laughs) For sweet Lord, I just rubbed my bum on all the church pews and no one could stop me. It must be noted that Monsieur Nee had a very base sense of humour, which is unfortunate for those who have to study him. (laughs) Word spread amongst all the men that they could do anything, and it was at this point that they stopped braiding their hair and wearing dresses when they realised they didn't have to. 
They began to grow beards. Many of the women were also doing this. They didn't mean to. It's just what happens after 30. But the men became jealous of their luscious, spiky beards and so began to laugh at the women who were then shamed into plucking their chins. Women's chins became extremely sore as they were constantly feeling them to check if there were any hairs there. Even when they were talking to their friends and they knew they weren't there, they were convinced that if they could feel it and pull it out of their fingers, it would be dealt with. <laughs> this is where the common phrase, chin up, comes from. <laughs> this was code amongst women to each other to hint they had got a big hair and they should keep their chin up near a mirror and sort it out <laughs> and stop letting us all down. By the 18th century, men were doing exactly what they wanted. See the birth of colonisation, for examples. No. Women had a brief respite in this century when men were eating so much cheese that they didn't notice they were wearing comfy dresses and reading books. In fact, by the 19th century, women were writing successful books like Jane Austen and the Bronte United Sisters. And they had proven, while gaining their own autonomy, that they could, in fact, become equal to the men. This, of course, frightened the men. And that's why, from 1814, it became illegal for a woman to own property, say she wanted sex or be the queen. <laughs> queen Victoria only just managed to circumnavigate this ruling by dressing as a man whenever she met other men. Men are notoriously shy, and they were too polite to ask her if she was a man or not, and that's how she reigned for so long. By the 20th century, it was expected that women would gain their own autonomy, finally. But, like the unexpected career of Michael Bublé, you never can tell what people will go for. <laughs> the suffragette movement allowed women over the age of 30 who were householders to vote in 1918, but women over the age of 21 didn't get the vote until 1928. A year later, the Wall Street crash occurred, confirming the age-old theory that if you give women political autonomy, they will affect the stock market, which is why a woman has never been allowed to be Chancellor of the Exchequer. Not a joke, a fact. <laughs> you may think that in 2017, women are now fully autonomous. We own bank accounts, we can forget our own PIN numbers, we can leave our debit cards in bars because we got a round in for everyone and somehow we still paid for an Uber. <laughs> we can vote in a constituency where it makes literally no difference what our vote will do. And we can wear whatever clothes we want knowing we will all feel fat in Topshop jeans. <laughs> we have achieved westernised, idealised version of autonomy. Huzzah! We should all feel very proud and realise there's no more work to be done. Sorry, that should read. We should all feel very sad and realise there is a huge amount of work to be done. Please welcome to the stage a wonderful, wonderful actor, producer, director, all-round fabulous feminist. It's Gemma Arterton. like to state that I'm not a director yet but that's really really encouraging <laughs> I feel like a man wouldn't say that <laughs> yeah. I think he'd go well I'd better direct something before the podcast comes out <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then everyone would be like give him some money he's a man he wanted it mm, yeah. absolutely and I reckon if you wanted to direct something they'd well, just you know, let you I got offered my first directing job <gasps> only yesterday oh and so you are a bloody director well I'm gonna turn it down Oh, no, I don't know. That's I don't even think... more powerful than yeah, saying yeah, yes, yeah, 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 That's the most no. powerful thing you can do in show business is when you can start saying no. Yep. That's a great day, isn't it? When you say no, Gemma, they'll be like, oh, offer her more. She's acting like yeah. a man. Offer her a better script, offer yeah. her something else. Why are you turning it down? Can you tell us? It's not quite right. Like, if I do... The first thing I want to direct has got to be... Per, you know, not perfect, but it's mm. got to mean something to me. I don't think I could just blindly go out there and direct someone else's script. I think I'd have to have developed it with a writer. Mm. I think that's great, though, 
the minute you start saying no to things, things change for you. Oh, yeah. it absolutely and does. It's like when you actually put it out there and say no, yeah. that's so powerful. People don't know what to do with it. They, they can go, get oh, flummoxed. Oh, oh. Um, Why? Are you more likely to say no now that you've played Joan of Arc? It, yeah. Because she was such a badass. And I think it's hard to kind of she loved play saying no, that character... She? And just demanding that everyone do what she yeah. wanted. I think it would be hard to play that character every night and not be affected by her physicality and her spirit. Yeah, actually, that's right. I've never really thought about it, but she had such conviction and it was sort of single-minded. You know, she completely... I guess because she was so inspired and so connected to God in her mind. She was unfaltering in mm. her pursuit. I think women, we're not used to being like that. And, um, well, she got her confidence from a higher power. Yeah. Like, if I'm being told by God, and I remember that yeah. as a fundamentalist religious person, if they'd told me to die for the cause, I would have, I would have done a Joan of Arc. Really? Oh, yeah. Because the reason I wanted to play... <laughs> oh, yeah, buddy. Slightly regret not doing it. <laughs> I was just waiting for the call. Come on, God. <laughs> oh, totally. If I'd thought Jehovah had wanted me to be Joan of Arc, I would have, and I would have died for it completely. Because wow. it's a higher power giving you confidence. Yeah. My question is, can feminism be our higher power? Yeah, I think so, but I think it's going to take time for us to have the conviction in a philosophical belief rather than a magical, well, some people feel, whatever you feel, a, a being that you can't see or hear or understand. But, but I find it something really, really good to hold on to. It's like, for me, feminism, it is a job. It's like, you hold on to that, and then even when it's sort of stormy outside, you, can, you know you're aiming for that. I think it gives you a sense as well of, like, when you are saying no to things, you know you're doing it for the right reasons sometimes. So sometimes if you get yeah. a script where you're like, oh, I'm, it makes you feel a bit uncomfortable, but you're not sure, and you sort of, like you say, check in with feminism. <laughs> like, yeah. hey, feminism, is this script yeah. actually bad, or is it sexist? And they go, it's sexist, don't do it. And you're like, thanks, feminism. So just, yeah, whereas it gives you... before, when I wasn't really <laughs> like aware of, that, of feminism, yeah, mm. yeah. I just blindly go about doing stuff. That's right. I, I was thinking. It's a good barometer. I used to do a character called Joey Bechamel. Joey <laughs> Sorry. Bechamel. Joey Bechamel, who's a spoof Zoe Deschanel. And she used to like fall over all the time and ask men if they were hard. And um, that was the joke, basically. It was like, and I did a gig, and I was remembering that I did it ages ago. And I, was pick, I used to pick on a guy and ask him if he was hard and then say I liked Star Wars. And it was very silly. And a bloke in the audience afterwards, I walked off and he went, as I left, he said, I'm going to rape you. <gasps> yeah. Right now, I only remembered this the other day, and I remember at the time just and I went, Oh, fuck you, no, you won't, and walked off. And I thought, Oh, that's a gig. And I thought, oh My god, that I was so unaware at that point. This was very early in my like sort of character stand up career. I thought, God, I was so unaware and so unaware of feminism that I just thought, Oh, that's just a gig. That yeah. man was just allowed to say that. And now, like you said, what happens now? You get older and you think, Oh my god, I now I would be like, No, that's not okay. And feminism has taught me that that's not okay. Mm. Would you still do the character? It was a brilliant piece of satire. I loved that character. And the point of it was not either to take the piss out of Zoe Deschanel. No, it was, it was to spoof the idea of a manic pixie dream girl. But I'm interested to know is if you do point at a man in the audience and go, are you hard, are you hard, are you hard? Yeah. If a man did that to us, yeah. we would then go, that's not consensual. Yeah, I, I mean, I think what I learned is to choose your audience member carefully. <laughs> yeah. Because when you chose the right audience member, and that would be, it would always be a man, and the joke was that he was a geek and that's why he would fall in love with it. And this, maybe this is an unfair thing to say, but I would choose someone who seemed a softer, not aggressive man. And I acted, it was dark. And I just picked a man. And then after I picked him, I thought, oh, you're an aggressive young man. This is only going to go one way. Because obviously he felt like I was taking the piss out of him and didn't see, didn't see the satire behind the programme. Um, Do you ever feel that, Gemma? When you look at roles, you don't know what they're going to become. 
Have you got a better eye now for what you... I think I've got a better eye now. From the offset, I'll be thinking about that. Whereas before, I just felt very grateful that anyone was asking me to work. So I'd just mm. go, yeah, OK, fine, I'll do it. <gasps> oh, really? Oh, you want me to jump over the fence in a shot pad to go up my ass and then walk <laughs> away from camera while the camera goes up my ass? Fine! Mm, yeah. Thank you for giving me this work. Yeah, now I would, I would question all of those things, but it's really difficult. It's, it's not difficult. But when you're young and you're feeling mm. very grateful... And I don't want to judge young women who are taking those roles because you've got to eat. And, you know, if that's being offered and you think, well, it'll be a step towards something else. Have you ever seen that? Um... Well, it was a step towards something else for yeah. me as well. well which, now, you're playing unfortunately... Joan, now you're playing Joan of Arc in the West End and you're playing who's the most powerful, you know, autonomous figure. And you're playing the writer in their finest who's this amazing kick-ass Second World War screenwriter. So it has led to something else, but you've pushed it towards something else. You could have gone to Hollywood pretty easily. But I also feel like it's because of the kind of bad stuff that I've gone through that has led me to react in the way that I have. And now my reactions are quite strong in what I choose. So, yeah. How do you deal with directors? They've got so much power, Mm. and that's the problem with it. They've got entire power. And sometimes I think producers and directors have a lot of power And you would have to rock the boat significantly, like you'd have to walk off a film at some point, and then you're the one with the bad reputation. And it's happened to women where they've spoken out or they've walked off something and they've ended up with the bad reputation. I just avoid working with anyone difficult now. (laughs) Do you? Yeah. Do you know who that is? I have an instinct and do research, but I I just will know when someone's a dick now. (laughs) Oh, they're a dick. I'm not going to work with them. You can get that quite quickly. And like on my films that I'm producing, I, with the other actors, I say, who is it you don't want to work with? Because I won't have any dicks on set. And honestly, just life's too short to work with people that make you feel like shit. What, so, what do you do if you see a younger actor now in your position? Have you had that experience of seeing a younger actress, actor, and feeling like, ah, she's doing exactly what I used to? Um, no. Is there a network of film stars who are like, hey, come here, let me help you? I would definitely want to dish out the advice. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I go into my drama school that I went to and I talk to the first years there and I say, please don't change yourself because everyone's going to try and change you and actually that's the most valuable thing about them is yeah. their in absolute originality and you feel like you need to be like that last person that was really successful and actually that's not true at all. It's just something that people tell you to do. The I people don't... that are really successful are themselves most of the time. And that's, that's... And that's just absolutely true in comedy. You can't be like somebody else. It's just, it wouldn't work. Yeah, it's that manifestation of autonomy. It's the first jump towards autonomy that's the hardest, I think. That confidence to go, what I am is enough. Yeah. And if I trust, we used to say it rather with the impro class, trust your obvious, trust what's yeah. obvious to you. Yes, it's really difficult when you're impressionable and young and other people are telling you stuff and they've got more uh, experience or influence and you think, well, maybe they know, but actually they don't. You should just go and do what you want to do. No, it's hard though, isn't it? Because I think you're right. You have to sometimes have the bad gigs and the bad experiences and picking on the wrong audience member or having the terrible director say horrible things to you literally force you to learn the lesson. Yeah. I wonder if there isn't a way of, maybe you just can't avoid it. Maybe you just have to go through these unfortunate experiences to learn how to be strong. Is that too sad and depressing? No, I think actually experience is... But I also think confidence is the product of our experience. And sometimes you see people get more and more fragile as they get older because they've had more and more and more difficult knocks. The thing that I realised about five years ago is that I was never going to get the email saying, you're a grown-up now, you know it, you're all right, trust your instinct. I was waiting for someone to tell me... Well, you're the one now. You're the one who knows. You're waiting for a Jehovah's Witness person to, to knock, knock on your on door, door and go, congratulations, God says it's all right. right? Uh, <laughs> that's the opposite of what I was waiting for. I was waiting for an email from science yeah. telling me 
it's all right now. Like, you know it, you're the grown-up, you're the one who is able to trust your instincts. Because who are these people making all the decisions? Who are these people that know more than we do? Like, obviously, there's doctors and things who know more about open-heart <laughs> surgery, and I'm not in any way... I inclined. can do it. Give me the surgeon's gloves and the scalpel. Come on. It's just sexism that they haven't yeah. been offered. Um, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, in the things that I'm good at... Why is it I assume there's someone better than me? Oh, it's, again, it's about validation, I think, like we're saying. It's why do you need somebody to say it's okay to do it rather than just, I want Getting to, I just it. want to do it. And I think we've got to send ourselves that email or send each other that email. I'll send you all that email. Yay! Yay! I will. I love, I love be, be, I'm not very good at saying it to myself, but yeah. I love saying it to others. Well, there's... that's what we have to do, I think. You know, uh, the women in Obama's staff started shining, I don't know what they called it, but... It's like shining a light on each other. Oh, nice. So they'd amplify each other. So if, say, Obama's there, let's pretend. (sighs) So Obama's there, Gemma's there. John Oliver's there, and Robert Downey Jr. is there. Is that sure? Uh, so Carrie Ann and Gemma and I oh God, are all I can't staffers, think. are all white. Can we just get into the proper West Wing sorry, fantasy? Sorry. Those people can't be there. Okay. West Wing, West Wing. So West Wing fantasy. So the three of us are all staffers, but there's also boy staffers okay. all around. Okay. So Gemma says something about some idea about policy. So could you just say something about policy? I have a really great idea about policy that you're all going to just kick yourselves that you didn't have. Could you name the policy? Could you just give it a quick <laughs> name? Oh, make it hard any as possible. No, and no, actually, no. have you got some accounts any name. and budgets that prove demo- the policy works? To demonstrate it, I just need okay. to give it a name. Policy on what? No, it doesn't matter, just give it a name. It could be the dog policy. Oh, okay. Um, the, the bling, uh, right to wear bling policy. Right to wear bling policy. So then what yeah. I do, yeah. because what Pete's going to do yeah, yeah. is Pete. just going to steal the God, idea. God, I hate Pete. Pete's going to just go in. He's such we a have dick. Man in the front row, no, uh, could Pete. you just pretend to be Pete? So could you just start talking, could you just take her idea? So there's a bummer there, he's there. And could I'm you just... Wear bling policy. Oh, I came up with that a few weeks ago. Uh, Pete always does this! Perfect, perfect. So I then amplify Gemma and I go, I loved it when Gemma came up with the right to wear bling policy because uh, she first pitched it to me before... Actually, Pete, you weren't there yet, were you? It was interesting. Um, <laughs> No, uh, you were you were in fact I believe uh, you were flirting uh, with somebody in the uh, in the hallway when we came up with this because you're never on time, Pete. That's what you know. No, it's not. It's, it's actually not about dissing Pete. Sorry, I've forgotten. Fine, Gemma. But Pete is a dick. Um, yeah, Pete is a dick. And sorry, then, Pete, but we all think it. And then you also carry okay. on now. Have I to... take Pete outside no, and I say, no, Pete, no. you listen. Okay, sorry. It's not about sorry. kicking Pete. Sorry. That's, sorry, Pete, sorry. <laughs> you then yeah. have to amplify Gemma Oh, yeah, well. so I'd be like, oh, my, that's an excellent idea, Gemma. And I remember you saying it, and I actually remember Deborah saying it to me that you had said it. And I really think the right to wear bling policy, it's something we really need to think about. You know what? God, thank, thank you, Gemma, yeah. for raising it. And then to another man, I need another man over here to be Toby. Do we you, like Toby? You, sir, could you just, should you, could you just change the subject? About a bag policy. Oh, Toby's such no, a dick. No, 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 <laughs> Carry on. no. It's so persuasive. It's so positive sorry. persuasion and sorry. influence. Sorry. Keep talking, Toby. Keep talking. Keep talking, Toby. We're thinking more about bags. There's just a lot of different types of bags, and I feel like we should really constrain the selection more. <laughs> That's interesting. That's interesting, Toby. I think that would tie in really well with Gemma's right-to-wear bling policy, because some bags are bling, uh, but not all bags. That's a good hashtag. Um, the, but I think, I think fundamentally, when we've got Gemma's uh, bling policy up and running, mm. bags would be a great addition. I tell you what, Toby, you interrupt one No, no. <laughs> Thank you. No, no, Toby, that is a really good point. Yes. Thank you for making it. But I think, actually, 
we really need to focus on Gemma's bling policy right now. I just, for me, maybe it's just me, I feel like that's the pressing issue. <laughs> that's how I do it. I'm always like, you're so great and clever. Well done. Anyway, we were actually talking about this. It's called a compliment <laughs> sandwich. Did that feel a bit yes but to you, Toby? Did don't you, you, don't, Toby, don't did you, you feel cut off there, Toby? Did you feel... Oh. oh. What was that? Was that <laughs> He's disagreeing oh, with the I right see. to wear bling Tom, policy. Tom was in the meeting and we didn't ask him about the bling policy. Come oh, on, Tom. Tom. Oh, I see. The man is upstairs. Just as Obama <laughs> was about to okay the bling policy, a man, a man fell, fell through fell the door drunk. And everybody laughed because they understood it. You cannot win. Always um, the man gets the punchline. So who wants to be Obama? Do we have an American man in? Oh, or a man who could do an American accent. A man who can do Obama. I, I can do a bum. Not like that. No. <laughs> and can we have a man who can be a bummer? Or a, maybe a lady can represent a bummer. Oh. Wait, revolutionary. Yeah. Revolutionary. Okay, Gender do costing. we have anyone who's always had a fantasy about doing a bummer? <laughs> Gemma, Gemma's idea. Did you like Gemma's idea? I loved it. What, whose idea did you love? Gemma's. <laughs> Take that, Pete. Take that. That's what we have to do for each other. Because autonomy is a group sport yep. if we hang on to the rail of feminism. It's easier to blow someone else's trumpet. It's but so then later, easier, Gemma yeah. will blow my trumpet, won't you, Gemma? Won't you, Gemma? Won't you, Gemma? Won't you, Gemma? I will completely you, Gemma? blow your trumpet. I'm going to have a jazz session on your trumpet. <laughs> the rest of you can go. It's just going to be me, Gemma Cariad, and, and not a Pete. Life... Pete is not involved in the trumpet Pete's blowing. Involved. But Obama can come. Hello, Guilty Feminist, just briefly interrupting your podcast listening to say that Jess Foster Q, who is a regular co-pilot on The Guilty Feminist, is currently touring her show. It's called The Silence of the Nans, and it's a crazy comedy horror story. She's selling out all over the place and getting the loveliest reviews. And she's adding dates, so there are still some tickets in Liverpool on the 8th of April. If you're in Brighton, go and see Jess on the 29th of April. And if you're in Manchester, she is with you on the 10th of April. There are other places too. Check out her tour dates and snap up her tickets. All info is on Jess Fosterq's website or even easier on her Twitter at Jessica Fosterq. Those of you who listen to The Guilty Feminist regularly know how incredibly brilliant, talented and funny she is. Please, please, please go and see her live. You will not regret it. Also, tune into Grown Up Land. You can find it on BBC Radio 4 online. It's our brand new podcast starring Bisha K. Ali, May Martin, who you know from the podcast, and Ned Sedgwick from Global Pillage. And as always, Steve Ali with Steve Ali's Perspective and lots of wonderful guests, some of whom you know from The Guilty Feminist. Tune in ASAP. And if you'd like to subscribe, we would love you. And now I'll put you back to The Guilty Feminist. Please put your hands together for Deborah Francis White. So I want to tell you about the bookends of my journey from lack of autonomy to uh, full-blown autonomy. When I was a teenager, my parents became Jehovah's Witnesses. And I really, really believed it. And if you really, really believe it, what will happen is the elders in your local congregation will start to run your life. Um, now, the elders, there's guys who are appointed by other guys um, who feel the Holy Spirit. And it was an Australian beach town. So it was like, what do you think, Gary? Do you think Darren's got the Holy Spirit on him? Is he, does, should he be an elder? Yeah, I think he should. I reckon. I reckon. I reckon he should. It was like home and away. 
only with an extremely fundamentalist high control group. And what you would find is genuinely, truthfully, this is how I was in my teenage years and early 20s, that two plumbers and an electrician would come round to my house and tell me my skirt was too short. So I went to another congregation and moved in with some uh, young women who were in the same situation. And we lived around the corner for some young guys who were in the same situation. That was sort of my uni years, if you will, because we all hung out together and, you know, got in the car together and drove to visit people who'd politely taken the Watchtower magazine and not understood they had to say, please don't come back. As you go back and visit them, you go back and visit them 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 until one of you dies. And that's how it is when you're a Jehovah's Witness. So I was pioneering. That meant we had absolutely no money because you had to, it doesn't pay to knock on doors. So you have to work two days a week in a minimum wage job to survive. And so everyone was very, very broke. Now, the head elder of this region, he's like, um, he's a famous elder. It's basically like a rock star elder. Comes around and visits your congregation once a year. And he's called the circuit overseer. If the circuit overseer is coming, there's lots of excitement. Jehovah's Witnesses don't have Christmas, birthdays, anal sex, anything fun. <laughs> and so when the circuit overseer is coming, it's like a festival. It's like, oh my God, the circuit overseer is coming. And basically he just comes and gives some very serious talks and fucks off again. But it's something that breaks the monotony. So... He has, obviously, in your congregation, if he's there for a week, he has to be fed seven times in the evening. So you can apply to have him for dinner. It's a big privilege to apply to have the circuit overseer for dinner. So it always goes to families. But we thought, well, we're a family of young pioneers. And so we are going to ask if we can, as a family of pioneers, have brother Les Simmons, real name, I'm naming him because fuck him, uh, for dinner. And the elders said, oh, that's highly unusual, but that's very sweet of you. Okay, yes. So we chipped in together because we had fuck all money to buy some fancy ingredients to have Liz Simmons and his wife for dinner. Her name was Barbell. Anyway, so, I mean, you try not to judge, but it's very difficult. So we go over to the boys' house because they have a bigger kitchen and we go into the kitchen. We all make a different part of the meal and we set the table and we've all dressed up and we're very, very excited and we're very proud of ourselves for doing this and the circuit overseer comes and his wife and we have a lovely meal and they go off and we think that went very well. The next day, we, all the pioneers got called into the back room of the Kingdom Hall, which is the Jehovah's Witness Church, by Brother Les Simmons. And he said, well, I was shocked by what I saw yesterday. Shocked. He didn't like the spaghetti bolognese. What? (laughs) I saw young sisters round in a brother's flat. You girls are so familiar with their kitchen. You just knew where their cutlery was. I just thought, well, it's in the top drawer, isn't it? (laughs) That is no mystery. In anybody's house, that's the best guess I've got. (laughs) Yes. You just opened that drawer like you knew what was inside. Honestly, it wasn't a... So I don't go around every day and open their cutlery drawer. And he looked down at us and he said, you know what this will lead to? It'll lead to pornea. Now, this was his favourite word for fucking. Because it's from the Greek. It's an official Greek root word. He used to say, every young person knows that rock and roll music is the beat of pornea. Every young person knows it. They feel it. You know where they feel it. No need to spell that out. The groin area, the groinal, the groinal area, that's where they feel it. You're probably feeling it now. You're thinking of some rock music, aren't you? And that's where the devil gets in. He gets in through the groin. So he was looking at us all sitting there and said, this is disgraceful. And look what I'm seeing here. This young sister here, she's got a shoestring strap on her dress. This was 40 degree heat. We're in Australia. We're in Queensland in Australia. It was so fucking hot. Shoestring strap... And do you know what that's exposing? A shoulder. 
And this young brother here, and he points to a boy. He points to like a 19-year-old boy. And then he points to another boy, a 21-year-old man. And this young brother here, 20-year-old man struggling with late-onset virginity. (laughs) How are they supposed to cope with this? Now, he's going to have a response to that, and he's going to have a physical response to your shoulder. If he looks at that shoulder, he glances over at that shoulder and sees that exposed, he's probably having a physical response to that shoulder, and you don't understand that. As a young sister, you wouldn't understand that because you don't have physiological responses in the same way. No, you don't know about that. You're pure. You don't have those thoughts. But young men, they do have those thoughts. Young brothers have those thoughts. And they're always struggling with onanism. It's a fancy word for masturbation. So we were all horrified, you know, and we were kind of devastated because we'd clubbed together and we thought we'd done this really, really wonderful thing. I did not, I'll be honest with you, I did not take Brother Les Simmons' advice on that. I tried really hard, we all tried really hard to live up to his exacting standards, but I think I started to think, fuck you. Because if five days a week knocking on doors in the sun and then two days a week working in a shop so I can just about pay my rent and keep having my electricity get cut off and saving up to buying fucking spaghetti bolognese is still not good enough because I understand that a man might keep a fork in a drawer (sighs) is not good enough then I can't do this and I went to London and one thing led to another and that thing led to atheism now I've been out of the religion for many, many years. I would have thought, being a stand-up comedian, that I was totally an autonomous individual. I would have told you that. I would have sworn to that. But two years ago, I did a radio show about this, and I got contacted by a young man in Canada called Ryan. And Ryan said to me, I heard your radio show, you got out, and you managed to get out without being shunned, because if the elders know you've done something wrong, none of your family or friends are allowed to talk to you anymore. And so I got on Skype, I ended up talking to him for four hours, it was like talking to myself in the past. So I said, how about I come out and help you just for a week, I've got a week in my schedule. He said, oh my God, that would be amazing. To be fair, I think he thought I was more famous than I was, because he'd heard me on the BBC. I think he thought I was like Graham Norton or something. <laughs> and I didn't disabuse him, because why ruin it for everyone? <laughs> so I went out... And we had this amazing week, and every day we did something he wasn't allowed to do when he was a Jehovah's Witness. We did uh, yoga. You're not allowed to yoga because your mind will go blank and the demons will get in. Um, (laughs) We did comedy improv, because that makes you say yes and. I thought that was good. We did MDMA. (laughs) And I haven't got time to go into that story now, but it's a good one. And, um, And then we decided that we would go to the Kingdom Hall because the elders were basically parked at the front of his house. They were trying to get in. They were trying to get him into a judiciary committee. And I said, at the moment, they think you're apostate. And that's why they're trying to disfellowship you. If we went to a meeting in a Kingdom Hall near yours, the rumour mill would work. It would get back. You'd been to a meeting and they would lay off you for a while and it would buy you some time. So we go to this Kingdom Hall. We go in. We're sitting there. And I'm feeling the old feelings come back. It's like being plugged back into the mains. The songs that they're singing, the prayers, the really boring sermon that's full of obvious inaccuracies, flaws, and circular arguments. And I'm sitting there thinking, God, I can't wait to get out of here, but all we need is for Ryan to be seen. But while we're sitting there, an elder comes up the aisle, taps Ryan on the shoulder and says, we need to speak with you now. And he looked at the back and he went, they've got one of my elders here so that they can disfellowship me now. So I basically led him into the lion's den. So he said, during the song, I'm going to just pretend I'm going to the bathroom and I'm going to quickly make a run for it. Like it's a cop show. (laughs) And I went, I'll stay here, because if I'm here, they'll think you're here, so I'll be the patsy. So off he goes during the song, prayer happens, I get up, I go to go to the door, the door is blocked by two men. We need to speak with you. 
would you follow us, please? And I thought, I think I can buy Ryan some time. I think I can say the right thing. So I followed them into this back room, and they locked the door. And they sat down, and they said, so you're Ryan's aunt, eh? That was my cover story. And I went, yeah, yeah, you're from London, eh? It's hard to make the Canadian accent sinister. (laughs) But they managed it. And they grilled me for half an hour about what I knew. I'd say, look, I don't really know. Anything I could tell you would be gossip. And they'd be like, oh, we're a couple of elders. You can tell us anything. And I'd say, well, my Bible-trained conscience would tell me that I shouldn't spread rumors. And then they'd be like, fuck. Because that's the Jehovah's Witness version of pleading the fifth. So I had all the loopholes. Like, you can't know the language if you don't know the language. It's impossible. And so I was being perfect, and I was so happy. And then about half an hour in, one of them said, so what congregation are you from? Now, I'd researched and rehearsed all of the Ryan stuff, but I hadn't thought they would ask me that. So I just said my last congregation in London, which was Pimlico. That's a rookie move because I've never been disfellowshipped. That's why Ryan wanted to hang out with me. It's only your last congregation that can disfellowship you. So I was like, as soon as I said it, I thought, why did I say it? I'm trying to stop Ryan being disfellowshipped. I'm going to be disfellowshipped. And I still have friends and family in it. And I was like, my heart started beating really fast. And he went, who's the coordinator there? Now, the coordinator's like the head local elder. And I was like, oh, I can't think who it is right now. thinking, fuck. And then he went, huh, name any elder. Now... I haven't been in this religion for years and years and years, but right at the back of my brain, I would manage to pull out of my head Alexander Armstrong Jones. Now, I said to them, I know that sounds like a Downton Abbey character, but really, he is a real elder. He went, and what's his phone number? And I went, why do you need his number? He doesn't know Ryan. And he went, I need to do a background check on you. And I was like, okay, that's it. And I stood up and I said, this is why Ryan doesn't want to talk to you. And this is why nobody wants to talk to you. This is why there is nothing about you or this that in any way represents some kind of loving God. This is why you need to open that door, which you have somehow seen fit to lock a woman in that you have never met. You need to unlock that door and you need to let me go. And they went, oh, 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 okay, 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 okay. And I got up and they unlocked the door and I walked out. And as I walked away, I realized I had been like umbilically connected to this religion because I had never said, let me out, let me go. And it was like a cord was being cut and I just ran out of the hall, like into a new life. It was absolutely extraordinary. But as I got back to the car, I thought, they've got enough on me now. They know I was lying they know my congregation, and they've got the name of the elder. So that's it. They can contact, and they can disfellowship, and I will be shunned by people. And it's happened. And then I realized, as I opened the car door, they'd forgotten to ask my name. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.
moonpig.com. Do we have any questions? There's someone here. There's someone here. Oh, oh sorry. You first. I was going to just apologise for taking the mic, which is, just seems so Don't apologise, yeah. I think it's all very well, like this thing of, you know, when you can start turning down the work and it feels really great, which does sometimes when that happens. But, you know, I've heard it on The Guilty Feminist before, this thing of, but when, when a man is kind of punching above his weight and kind of has that confidence to kind of go, reach for the thing that he doesn't necessarily feel like is fully qualified for... I wondered if you had any advice for when that's the case. For, so when you've got to that point where you're like, okay, great, so I'm turning down all the stuff that I don't need to do and I'm doing you know, what I think I'm good at. What about when you don't think you're good at but you want to be? How do you... Yeah. I actually got in a complete pickle the other day because I did this interview and I said, oh, you know, there's this like system in, in Hollywood where you know, an A-list actress can finance a film and I went, and I'm a C... And they put it like on the front cover of the Evening Standard. And my agent went, how dare you say you're a C? Gemma, you are an A. You are an A. Never say you're a C. And she was so upset with me. And it was this big hoo-ha, which is so ridiculous. But it was this hoo-ha. Could you not say you're a C on my podcast? Because I've told everyone I've got an A. Yeah. So, awkward. I'm not the right person to ask about this, you know. I, no, I think it's so like, British, well, though, isn't it? It's so and a, British. An, an LA actor would never LA say that. LA actor would They wouldn't never. be able to get a C out of their mouth. They wouldn't even no. admit it, even if they knew they were a C. Oh, if they were Z, they'd say they were A star. Yeah. yeah. Mark it up. I think it's quite a nice thing to sort of... But then I think that's probably not very feminist as well, to put yourself down in that way for a joke, just to make someone, <laughs> to, an interview person that you don't know, It's because like it's the only time you get the fucking punchline, Gemma, is when you make it about yourself. Yeah. Um, I would say to that, if you want to be good at something and you think you're not, do the things that someone who is good at that thing does. Oh, yeah, that's good. What are they doing? Copy that. Like, if you see... Say you're a bit tentative in meetings and you think, oh, I wish I was good like Barry or Frida. Not Pete. Not Pete. <laughs> No, not Pete, not Toby, but Barry or Frieda. Then watch what they're doing. How many times do they speak in the meeting? Take a tally, process. And if the meeting is 60 minutes long and they're speaking for 10 minutes and there's six people there, then they're taking their share. Then you have to think, right, I've got to speak five times in this meeting. And I don't think it really matters what you say. Yeah, it doesn't. No, I agree. People are saying bollocks in meetings. Just say, I love what you said there, Barry, and I'm going to think about that. I might do a bit of research on that. And Barry will go, brilliant, because you've amplified Barry. Yeah, I think fake it till you make it is a definite path to go down, to just go, I'm going to imagine I'm being them. And everyone's bluffing. Yeah. Everyone's bluffing. If you literally put yourself in, I find it easier if you go, oh, well, Carrie, I can't do that. But if you're like, I'm going to pretend to be Barry in this situation. Mm. And just in your head for that whole meeting, be like, I am Barry. And I'm, that's why I'm doing it. And then I think it's easier because then you're like, oh, yeah. I didn't do it. I didn't speak. I just pretended to be Barry for an hour. I've worked with people who are terrified of presenting, like terrified of presenting. And they'll go, oh, you know, so-and-so, so good. And I'll go, just show me how they do it. And mm. they can come out. And because they're pretending to be someone else, they're brilliant. And then I go, okay, great, so do it like that. And I'm like, oh, I couldn't possibly. I'm like, you just did it, though. <laughs> and they're like, but so I just say, well, every time you present, pretend you're Barack Obama. Yeah. <laughs> just honestly pretend you're Michelle Obama for a year. That's, my, that's honestly the best advice. Yeah, I think so. She wouldn't do it, you're not going to do it. Yeah. Um, and I must say, when we're sort of sitting up here talking about turning down work, I really do want to say, 
There are plenty of people in this country right now who cannot turn down any work, who can't get work, who are very poor, and plenty of people around the world who are in a desperate situation. So we're talking about the spirit of saying no. I really don't want to be sort of going, oh, isn't it brilliant when a film star can turn down work? Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm turning down a lot of unpaid gigs. No, no. <laughs> but do you know what I mean, though? Like, I'm it's, tired. It's, I'm just putting yeah, that out not, there. Yes, I agree. I know lots of people cannot get work. Please take that in the spirit that we mean it. And I do sometimes think if influential women aren't going to step up to the plate and ask for the same amount of pay how will anybody else ever get it that's where it starts it yep. starts with influential women saying this isn't good enough for me but then very keenly we have to say that's not good enough for anybody yeah another question there was one over here yeah so basically i'm a linguistic student and uh we had a guest speaker in literally just a couple of weeks ago um it's deborah cameron from the university of oxford and she is basically the leading authority on language and gender. And so I would like to get your views. It's just sort of a general question because um, it plays into a lot of previous podcast episodes. Um, basically, she was saying that the whole idea of telling women to stop saying sorry, to stop saying just, um, to stop hedging, is actually feeding into the idea that women's behaviour, behaviour that's typical of women, is less. And therefore, we need to alter our behaviour to be more masculine, to be taken seriously, um, and to have basically our existence validated um, and she was saying that you know we should rather than playing into it don't forward on the buzzfeed listicles or the bustle articles and actually call out behavior that is typical of men whereby they don't feel like they need to apologize like women do i.e in the sense of yeah I, you, I absolutely see what you mean so like because women are more used to having their um, physical boundaries affronted and men aren't used to that women typically apologize for it more than men do um, and so actually we should call men out for saying, no, it's actually offensive to me that you've, you know, pushed your way into my physical space um, and things like that. And so basically I feel like, and this is into the autonomy thing as well, telling women to change their behavior, to be taken seriously and to be validated is taking away part of our autonomy as well. And actually we should just be accepted. So what if this behavior is typical of women? Like that's just the way women maybe feel they are in the world and maybe we shouldn't have to change ourselves. I see what you're saying, and I've heard this theory, and I'm delighted to hear about another Deborah. Um, I don't agree at all. I just think it's the product of damage that's been done to us by the patriarchy. The position that she's taking is we're a bit damaged, we're a bit nervous, we've been tentatively included, and that's why we tentatively self-include. We come into rooms going, will I be included in here? And we shouldn't have to change that, because that just happened to us. And I'm like but I don't want to be broken because of the patriarchy. I'm not interested in it. It doesn't make me feel good. It's basically like saying, if you had a child who'd been bullied in the playground and now was suffering anxiety and didn't want to go and have a sleepover, I don't think you just go, well, it's not her fault, so she shouldn't work on changing that so she feels happier and has a happier life. I would work with that child and I want to work with myself. I just don't get it, this idea that... It's not typically female. It's typical of people who've been tentatively included or excluded. I think it's a what I mean? I think it's a really interesting argument. And I, this is very niche, but I teach improv. And I teach improv to women sometimes. And I ran a workshop. And I literally was saying in the workshop, sometimes you have to play more like a man and you have to be more aggressive. And one of them raised exactly the same point, was like, well, why can't we play like women? And I think even on just a practical level, I see both sides of points of view. I think they're both completely valid. I just think on a practical level... 
we live in a patriarchy. It is a man's world. And if you want to get things done sometimes, you, there are certain ways that it's easier to play in improv if you are playing slightly more aggressively as a man because they do then go, oh, I see, okay, she's welcome. And you're right, we shouldn't have to, but I kind of feel maybe we do at the moment. And I pray and hope for a time when we don't, but I don't think we're there at the moment. And that's what worries me to go, oh, well, you have to change. I worry that they won't. <laughs> and we're just, just left going, oh, well, I haven't changed. I'm still saying sorry and you haven't apologised. Oh. But is that like a woman? I don't think it's like a woman to yeah. apologise. I think it's like a woman who's been bullied or anyone who's been bullied or anyone who's been disenfranchised. I think anyone who's been marginalised. It's not like a woman. When people, this is when people get into authenticity. My, uh, no, so you've got to be authentic self. My authentic self likes to eat cake and lie down. Yay. <laughs> my best self likes to eat fruit and do yoga and I find if I just do the things my best self does for three months that becomes my authentic self it is more habitual for me now to do yoga than not to do yoga so my body demands it I have no choice but to do yoga now because my body will go it will seize up it will go you've got to get out of bed and get into downward facing dog <laughs> and it makes me I get off a plane I go into the hotel room it's automatic and my body now is, tells me such a different story if I've done it or if I haven't done it, if I've been eating fruit or if I've been eating cake, my body's compelling me and it feels so much more wonderful. And I'm much more my true whole self now. Your authentic self is just your habitual self. If you're telling the story, sorry, oh, sorry, oh, I just had a thought, I don't know if it was mentioning, then that's the story you're telling and you're telling your brain that and you're telling the room that. I don't think it's female. I think it's learned. We're a product of the patriarchy and fuck the patriarchy. I will not apologise to it anymore. <laughs> What do you think? Before, just I don't. I want to give you a right to reply to that because I think you know. I really want to hear what you think. I also feel, like worry that maybe I've misrepresented her words a little bit um, and not really explained it. No, no, um, I've heard this before. It is, yeah, it is a yeah. school of thought. Whether it's exa- her exact words, it is a school of thought. Yeah, I don't know. I do really appreciate actually hearing sort of another side to it because well, I don't know. It's sort of hard to explain. You sort of you take in the doctrine, I suppose, of whatever you're told. Um, but at the same time, I do think that. We need to call out privilege. I think that's essentially what she was saying, um, or at least that's what I took it to mean. Oh, like, if guys are being steamrollers, yeah, tell them. And, no, absolutely. And I don't, again, I don't think it's you know male. It's just someone who's always given precedence. Well, she did quote a study. I don't remember um, who it was by, but I remember it was recent. It was only in 2010, and it involved so basically subjects like men and women. They had to make a quick record of whenever they used sorry or they apologized for something. Like, you know, the instances and a quick description of the um, experience. And basically, women reported more incidences than men. So what they took away from that was that men just didn't see that their behavior needed to be apologized for. Um, And that was what she was sort of getting at. Yeah, probably guys should say sorry more and we should say sorry less. Yeah, meet in the middle. middle. (laughs) But I don't think it's, I'm, I'm a woman and this is how I behave and I can't behave any other way. It's like, are you happy that way? I don't want to attach gender to apology. Yeah, so I guess, is it working for you? Are you happy if, if saying... Dr. Phil. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, is it working for you? If it's not working for you, then, then it's definitely worth questioning. I think it's always interesting to see the different side of it and to own it and go, actually, are we just saying we're, oh, another reason women are wrong? Don't do this, behave like men. But I don't think that is quite what's happening. I think it's about being empowered. I don't think we should behave like men. I think we should behave like powerful women. Yeah. And I think that's different. And I do see a lot of negative behaviour from men. And I think I do want to correct that. But I don't want to go... And there's nothing to be changed about me. Like, if I'm happier being more powerful... I don't know. You've changed a lot, Gemma, I think. Yeah, I have. Are you happier? Yeah. <laughs> I'm in my power now, whereas before I wasn't. And I'm not saying that I'm, like, really all-powerful now. I definitely apologise too much. It's ridiculous. But... 
I also am being much more clearer with my objectives and my opinions and my feelings. And I'm not afraid to say no. But yeah, I, 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 no, I think you're right. It is, it makes you feel more powerful to not apologise as much. Mm. I mean, I do, I, I've had this conversation as well and I wonder why that is. And there are times when I really want my boyfriend to say sorry and he absolutely should and he doesn't and I say sorry all the time and I wonder why that is mm. I don't let it go till we've both said sorry <laughs> like, yeah. I'm so, I'm like I say sorry and if he doesn't I go and your turn <laughs> like, yeah. I am very annoying <laughs> I already feel sorry that I reacted so strongly to your point and I'm already thinking but no there's a point there and no I do I think I react strongly when I hear it but in fact you're right that men need to change their behaviour and women need to change our behaviour because we're all living in a patriarchal structure. If we all change our behaviour and acknowledge our privilege and say sorry when we've... I don't, I'm saying sorry when you've done something wrong. Of course, if you've just tipped hot coffee in someone's lap. I don't want to... I, le- I read on a, on a listicle that I shouldn't... BuzzFeed said. Like, of course. I'm I also, so sorry. I, I've tipped hot coffee on your lap. Or I'm so sorry I didn't yeah. realise that, you know, that was... Your lap. The, you, I'm on the path. <laughs> I, was, I really hate the idea that like that all men are awful as well. Like, yeah. the, like the all men, like there's that generalisation of like, well, all men never say sorry and women. Do. It's like there's some men who who apologise all the time and and feel the same oppression and to, to say that you know men are strong and women are weak and that's the language. I also think is really mm-hmm. unfair to men as well. Yes. Yeah, you know, think about them sometimes. That's not going to get you a cheer. <laughs> no, I know. I was no, just, I, I was trying I, to win Pete back. That's what that was about. There are trends. Men are taller than women but that doesn't tell you anything about Jerry Hall and Ruth Murdoch. Any individuals... Nothing can tell you about that. that and is... Individuals vary. Individuals vary. So, you know, and also context, guys. And when I'm up here and I have this mic, I'm full of the badass, but not necessarily in meetings, in other conversations, in places where I feel I'm not going to be liked or, you know... I, oh, yeah. This gives you status, this gives you power. And I sometimes think people listen and go oh, Deb's great, you know, she's like this and blah, blah, blah. And I get tweets from people and I think, if only you could see me. <laughs> like, well, yeah, It's like, don't raise your idols on the pedestal, isn't it? It's like, yeah, you say, it's important that we talk about it. It's amazing you do this podcast. It's amazing you talk about it. But we're all fallible beings. Oh, we all struggle. Yeah, yeah. I apologise all the time and I fuck up all the time. And I'm, I mean, that's the whole point of the podcast is I'm a feminist part. You can follow The Guilty Feminist on Twitter at guiltfempod. Check out our Instagram, instagram.com forward slash theguiltyfeminist. Like our Facebook page, sign up to our mailing list to get notified as soon as a new episode is released. And please, please, because it does matter, go to iTunes and rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people to find the podcast. And give it five stars. <laughs> and you, can, you might think you've already rated it. Cheer if you've rated it. Okay, you know you can rate every episode. I didn't know you, that. Yeah, you rate it one, but you could sort of go, this is a particularly good episode to listen to. It's got Gemma Arterton in it, Carrie Lloyd. Don't do that before it's gone up, because then they'll could be like, hmm. Okay, um, so uh, do you have anything to plug, Gemma? <laughs> anything coming up? Um, well, you can watch a film that I made last year, my first film as producer, which is called The Escape. And um, it's all about a woman that doesn't feel any connection with her children and leaves them. And it's about mental disorders. And it's, I think, a feminist film. Um, it's very, very complicated. Maybe but... not one for Carrie to watch Yeah, right I'm thinking that. <laughs> no, but it's redemptive. It's redemptive. She I'm... comes back 17 years later. <laughs> I just go to cinema with the baby, leave the baby there. <laughs> 
Ashes, you want a baby? I just watched this film, I changed my life, it's over. <laughs> she was being annoying, she cried the whole way through, I missed half the dialogue. Yeah. That sounds great. So you've produced that film? Yeah, it's very complicated. I'm not really plugging it, really, but it's doing the festivals this year, and I'm quite proud of it. It's very unique. Wow. Um, well, I'm totally searching that out. So it's called The Escape. Yes. And I think it's going to be a fantasy film for lots of mothers. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, I made it sound really awful. It's, <laughs> mo- it's more about, um, you know, when men leave their children, people don't really talk about no, it. And no, when women do, you're sort of victimised and made to feel like um, a devil. But actually, there are reasons why people do. There are reasons why. Gary Adams. it's all I right. got good reasons. I got good reasons. It's all right. It's all right. I don't right. feel bad. This, if you, you, if know. you leave, no one will judge you. If you lived That's with the moral a, of the yeah. story. If you lived with a flatmate and they woke you up three times a night you'd ask them to leave <laughs> why is it okay she just wakes up and it's like oh we'll deal with it well I think you're being unreasonable <laughs> if you lived with a flatmate who vomited on you 12 oh. times a day and made you change their shitty pants <laughs> yeah that would be weird wanted to live like a parasite off your body <laughs> hey we've, we've all you know you moved to London you've got to stay with someone we've been there <laughs> It's true, it's true. I suckled <laughs> heavily in my first flat out of home because, you yeah. know, you don't know what you're doing yet. You've got to live in zone two somehow. <laughs> Whatever it takes. There are men who pay good money for that. Do you want my plugs? Do you want your plugs? My plug? Am I allowed to plug something? Oh, sorry, for a second I thought, like, plugs for the breast. You don't plug like, them. like weaning... You, you do not plug them up. You just... Can I tell you what you do? You put breast pads on, which are like sanitary towels for your tits. You just put them on, and they just soak up the milk mm. when they're leaking. You look, look none of you... You're all very young, you don't understand, but boobs leak. Well, I was telling Gemma this other, they leak when other babies are crying. Did you know that? Yeah. I other, And a baby in the vicinity, and your boobs are like, I gotcha, I'm here. Oh. What do you want? And you're like, no, not mine, not mine. I don't care. The restaurant care. just starts to open. Yeah, it just wow. goes, oh, there's customers. Quick, quick, quick. I... <laughs> I always think it's weird that you're just a part of your body suddenly gets a part-time job. It's so like, weird. I just think it's like if your knee started dispensing pizza. <laughs> so like, that would be weird, right? It's, and it's so suddenly, weird. Yeah. I had a friend. She said, my breasts have always been very sexual to me. She was pregnant. She said, I'm just so nervous about breastfeeding. I just don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. It's just so weird. And her husband said, oh, honey, it'll be really natural. And she went, oh, yeah, how would you feel if the baby wanted to suck on your balls? <laughs> I said you'd have a hard time convincing the police officer that's what had happened. The baby had asked for it. That's what the baby wanted. It kept her quiet. Okay. Um, what, would you, what would you like to plug? I would like to plug an improv show that I am in called Ostentatious, which is improvised Jane Austen. Uh, we, yeah, oh, thanks. We're touring, and you can see us in London, and you can find us on Twitter at Austin Impro if you like improv and Jane Austen. It's really up your alley. <laughs> You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest host, Harriet Lloyd, and our very special guest, Gemma Arterton. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Salinsky for The Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Zoe, Meta, Sally, and everyone at King's Place, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Sorry, I couldn't find it. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Where is it? No, I'll, it's there. It, yeah, sorry, I should have got I'm it so for sorry. you. No, I'm, I'm so sorry. sorry. I should have known. I'm sorry, I should have known.
Hi, I'm Mae Martin. I'm Bisha K. Ali. And I'm Ned Sedgwick. And we're so excited to welcome you to a new podcast from BBC Radio 4, Grown Up Land. Each week, join us as we take a topic from the adult world that we're struggling to get our heads around and look to the grown up land of Radio 4 for answers and advice. Yeah, we really only look at the big, philosophically complex issues. How close do we have to be for you to get a friendship tattoo with me? I could do it for you. I've done it with a needle and um, a Bic pen. Wait, a a needle and a Bic... Were you in prison? No, I was at a dinner party and things got out of hand. I mean, that is an out-of-hand dinner. When a dinner party gets out of hand for me, we crack into their parents' port. Like, we know... (laughs) (laughs) Not only that, but every week I'll roam grown-up land in search of a new challenge. I've literally just pierced my ear for this programme and I have some regrets. So, I just got a phone to a couple of piercers... I'm just going to go and get a simple ear piercing, just walk in. A lot of people weren't okay with me recording it. Not really sure what they didn't want me recording. Just relax. I'll try. Can't feel them. How was it? Uh, (laughs) The kind of fear of the pain has passed and now the fear of my friend seeing the saddest mate with a piercing is kind of set in. (laughs) You'll also be joined by a special guest each week to try to unpick your dilemmas and solve your problems. This week our guest is Ed Knight. He's a stand-up comedian. He was nominated for Best Newcomer at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival this year. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Okay, this is a question from at Henzers. When I was 10, I wanted to be an accountant desperately. (laughs) Maths was always my fave subject. I ended up in recruitment and now I'm kind of lost. It sounds like Mm. their bliss is accounting. Follow your bliss. Yeah. Yeah. And also make it your side hustle until your side hustle becomes your hustle. Like, just do it on the side. Start writing sums in the dust on cars. (laughs) (laughs) Toilet walls. Whatever. And the amazing Steve Ellie will put everything in perspective for us. Here's another question. This is from at Imaginary Really, who says, I want to get a tattoo to piss off my parents, but I can't decide what to get. Ideas for tattoos that will annoy my parents the most, please. Um, so this sounds like it's time for Steve Ellie's perspective. Steve is from Syria and he's here every week to help us with the questions that we can't crack ourselves. Steve? Hey, Imaginary Really. Your problem reminds me of the time when I was living with my parents. They used to annoy me and sometimes I wanted to do things to piss them off. But then when civil war broke out in Syria when I was 19 and we had to flee and I had to leave them, I found that me having to get across dangerous borders and message them whenever I could get signal from refugee camps freaked them out so much more than anything else I could do. So I recommend, if you really want to piss your parents off, go stateless and let border police and international governments do it for you. So welcome to Grown Up Land. Make sure you subscribe so you can catch our adventures in the terrifying adult world on a weekly basis. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. 
every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com